0: Kathleen Constantine, and if uh, you remember, uh, about four months ago, back in June, um, we brought Kathleen up to, um, to share with us a little bit about some exciting venture that she was going to go on, and, and then we prayed for her, and she's been back for a while now, but we're just now having her come back up and share with you what that was like, and so she's just going to share for a few minutes about her trip to uh, Russia, which happened just a few months ago.
1: Thanks. Um, Well, good morning, or dubre utra, as they would say in Russia. Um, So I sort of shared a little bit about what I was going to be doing when I first came up here uh, last time, but my primary role when I was there in Russia was to train the college students how to teach lesson plans and what the curriculum would look like uh, for the English program for the Russian students. And I was working with another person, Monica, who is from, who's a teacher as well, is from Atlanta, and she's been doing this for a number of years, and the challenge to me was to come along on the trip and see if this is something where I'd want to do in the future and lead a team of my own some summer. So I was helping her with that. We did the training in Moscow with about 14 English. Uh, college students, mostly from the Los Angeles area, and then I spent a week with them in Piatigorsk, helping the Russian missionaries there that were working at the English Center and putting on the program, Um, just behind the scenes, the scheduling, um, how everything was going together, observing the teaching teams, and how the college students were doing in relating to the Russians. Um, Some... struggles when I was going over there because this is something that was entirely new to me was I was really feeling inadequate and out of my comfort zone a lot. Three years ago I was in the shoes of the college students and felt like because I was joining the team after they had been there a few weeks and they got to know each other and then I was only with them a brief period Um, and then leaving them before they actually left Russia, that they would not accept me, and I didn't know really what to do. And through it all, God really spoke to me and just said, No, Kathleen, I chose you. You don't have to worry about this. And then when I got there, it was amazing to see just the love of Christ through the team and how they accepted me and just treated me as one of their own and said... Thank you so much for coming and just spending some time with us and training us and teaching us how this is all going to go. Uh, spiritually, on my trip, it was really, really evident to see that the devil did not want us there at all. And there was obviously a lot of praying that the team was doing, a lot of time where they spent in devotions and prayer and prayer. And um, getting to know the Russian students as well was a part of the mission overall and being part of the missionaries' lives and supporting them. Uh, And the spiritual battles that we really saw stuck out in sicknesses for the team. They were really a go-getter team, and so the devil tried to hinder them as much as possible. I don't think anyone on the team the whole trip was 100% percent well The team struggled with colds the whole time. One girl ended up breaking her leg while in Russia. Another one ended up fainting during the training in Moscow and had to be flown back um, the same time that I flew back. And another... Um, person accidentally fell in a sauna, um, against the hot rocks and got 3D burns and had to go to the hospital. So, a lot of different things that we were seeing, but that obviously just made us pray all the more for the students and against, um, everything that was going on. Later on, uh, when I got to Russia, there was a couple students that had been meeting with the Americans beforehand and knew them, Russian missionaries, and one of them shared her story, which was really, really powerful, and how Satan had definitely a hold on her, and then she was freed from that, and just through knowing the Americans and knowing the Russian missionaries as well. And then um, afterwards, now it's been really neat to see uh, the updates because obviously I left, and so I didn't get to see all the friendships form, I was only there for a little part of it, but to see the fruit afterwards, there's about 20 students now that are regularly coming to a Bible study study with the Russian missionaries and are really showing an, an interest in learning about things about God. So, yeah, definitely a really great experience. And next summer, my plan is to lead a team, and I accepted that challenge.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you, Kathleen, for sharing with us. I was going to ask you about if you were going to step up to the challenge and lead a team next year. That's really exciting, and we appreciate you sharing with us. Uh, I'm really glad that Kathleen um, shared about some of her struggles, too, uh, because sometimes we tend to glamorize missions work, and um, it'd be easy to do that, you know, oh, it was just a life-changing experience, and we saw people's lives transformed and all of that, but it's it's hard, it's really hard work, and it's hard, it's hard to say yes to God in the first place, right? And to actually go, to, to, to give yourself to God in that way, to be used somewhere that's way outside of your comfort zone. And so today, actually, we are, we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about what it means to live your life outside of the comfort zone. And, Everybody knows what that's like. I mean, a big part of parenting is leading your kids to overcome their fears and step out of their comfort zone. And that all starts the moment they come out of the womb and into the world, because the womb is their comfort zone. They all cry when that happens. And that's because it's uncomfortable. They're forced through this suffocating passageway into this cold, wide-open world, totally naked. It's a terrifying experience. For the child, and for the mom, and for the dad who's watching it, or anyone else who's watching it. That's how it all begins. And then shortly after that, some of us give our kids a pacifier. And why do we do that? We give the kids a pacifier to comfort them when they're upset. It's a comfort thing, right? And my wife and I have done that. Some people don't, don't do the pacifier thing. That's fine, you know. But, it, you know, the pacifier works for most kids. It works. It comforts them when they're upset. But the day you try to take it away, you're going to have a problem. Because your child has never gone to bed, that child's never gone to bed without a pacifier. They don't know what that's like. It's scary. It's outside their comfort zone. They've never done it. And so they may cry and scream and do bad things when you try to take the pacifier away. They'll fight you for it because they think they need it. They think they need it to be happy. They think you must hate them for taking it away. And then a couple of years after that, you know, you kick your child out of their comfort zone again by dropping them off at kindergarten. I mean, why not just drop them off at a refugee camp? Because that's how they feel. They feel like a refugee. You know, you, you drop them off at this strange place. Uh, you leave them with a, a, a foreign person. and they, They're forced to sit in a strange room with this foreign propaganda plastered on the walls, being forced to recite in unison some strange new mantras with all the other refugees. And if that weren't bad enough, you make them go back the next day, and then the next day, and the next day. Of course, they finally, they eventually get used to it. But then a couple years later, you you force them out of their comfort zone again by forcing them to take a shower. And for some kids, that's way outside their comfort zone. All they've ever known is a bath. They've always wondered what that scary round gun was pointing down at them. And then you force them in there naked and they're about to find out, will it kill me? You know, you force them into the bathtub naked as the water's running and then you pull the trigger and the gun hisses as bullets of water come shooting down at them. and They have nothing to protect themselves. And they wonder, why do my parents hate me and want me to die? Why would they deny me a safe warm bath? I'm only eight years old. Well, today... I want to invite you to life outside the comfort zone. And I want you to know that you and I have a lot in common. I have a comfort zone just like you do. Talking to people I don't know is outside my comfort zone. Raising my hand to ask a question is outside my comfort zone. Inviting people into my home who I don't know is outside my comfort zone. Changing diapers is outside my comfort zone. Going out of my way to help a stranger who is hurting and helpless is outside my comfort zone. Leading people is outside my comfort zone. Talking to people about Jesus is outside my comfort zone. It's always more comfortable to do nothing and not change and just assume somebody else will do what needs to be done. But life inside the comfort zone is not life with God. Following Jesus Christ is not safe or comfortable. We are sometimes overly concerned in the church with making people feel comfortable. I mean, you, you'll hear me say at times, hey, just here's this connect card. Just fill out whatever you're comfortable with. But we can make comfort into an idol. We can make comfort into an idol. We can, th- we can use comfort to get what only God can give us. Sometimes we exchange God for what's comfortable, don't we? That's what we've been talking about the last bunch of weeks. And if I were to stand up here and tell you, hey, why don't, or or, or Mark, if Mark or Lindy were to say, hey, why don't you guys praise God this morning, but only if you're comfortable doing that. Or or give your offering to the Lord today, but only as much as you're comfortable with. Or or please consider serving your brothers and sisters in Christ by uh, becoming an Awana leader, or... Serving on the setup team or helping with the worship sound team setup and stuff like that. But only as long as you're comfortable with it. I mean, if, if that's how we talk to you, we would not be leading you to the Jesus of the Bible. <laughs> because Jesus never, saw, never talks that way. And neither do his followers. Genuine encounters with God do not feel comfortable. They just don't. I want to give you some examples. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, we read about uh, this man named Abram. And he has an encounter with God. And in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abram. And he says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And God, So God tells Abram, to leave his comfort zone, to leave behind everything he's ever known, his country, his family, his, his identity, and to go somewhere. He doesn't even tell Abram Abraham where he's going. And Abram goes. Then in Exodus chapter 3, God calls Moses from a burning bush. Remember that episode? And Moses realizes God is in the bush speaking to him, so he hides his face out of fear. Then God sends Moses. He says in verse 10 to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. Moses then says to God, Well, who am I that I should go? And God says, But I will be with you. In Isaiah chapter 6, God appears to Isaiah in a vision. And he, Isaiah sees these angels all around him praising God and and singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. Then God says to Isaiah, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah's response is, Here I am, send me. Then in Jeremiah chapter 1, we we read about Jeremiah. And God says to Jeremiah, he speaks to Jeremiah and tells Jeremiah that he's going to send Jeremiah to the nations. Jeremiah says to God, Ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak for I'm only a youth. Don't send me. I'm, I'm I'm not even qualified. I'm inadequate. And God's response to Jeremiah is, Do not say I'm only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Later on, in Luke chapter 5, we read about Peter's first encounter with Jesus. And Peter is... He had just come in from a long day of fishing, and Jesus gets into his boat and begins teaching the people. And then Jesus tells Peter to push out back, uh, push out away from the shore, go back into the lake, and to go fishing again. And, and Peter begins to argue with Jesus, like, "Well, we've fished all day and we haven't caught anything, but okay, whatever, Jesus." And he goes back out. And when Jesus tells them to, they let down their nets, and the catch of fish is so huge that their nets begin to break. And Peter realizes that God is standing in his boat. And he falls down on his knees. And he says to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And here's what Jesus says to Peter. And doesn't this just sound like God? (laughs) Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And then when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Now, did you notice that in every case where a person has a genuine encounter with God, God sends them somewhere? That's what happens. That's how God operates. Where does God send them? He sends them outside their comfort zone. Abram was a wealthy older man when God sent him outside his comfort zone. Do you know how hard it is for a 75-year-old man to change anything? And yet God meets Abraham and, he, and, and, and he, he tells him to go, to just leave and go somewhere. I'll tell you later where, to, where you're going to land. Just go. And Abraham does it. He doesn't even argue with God. Moses is a middle-aged shepherd who's comfortable with his safe rural life until God shows up and sends him outside his comfort zone, to the most dangerous place he could go, the one place where he's a wanted man and asks him to do something really, really hard. To deliver a people who've been in bondage for hundreds of years. Nearly 400 years. Isaiah is a wealthy, well-educated young man from a royal family. He's married with kids. He has a comfortable life until God shows up and sends him outside of his comfort zone to the nation of Israel to tell them very hard things, things that could get him killed. Jeremiah is just a teenager living in a small town. He's still dependent on his parents when God shows up in his life and calls him to leave and to step out of his comfort zone, to leave his home and preach the gospel to a lot of angry, hard-hearted people. For Jeremiah, life with God meant a life of difficulty. It meant giving up comfort and getting used to disappointment. His message and his ministry were not well received. The people in his hometown tried to kill him. He never got married. After 40 years of faithful ministry, he had only two converts that we know of. Peter's life revolved around fishing and carrying on the family business when Jesus showed up and disrupted everything. Jesus tells Peter to leave his comfort zone so he can become a fisher of men and pioneer the greatest movement the world has ever seen. Do you notice a pattern here? Everyone in the Bible who had a genuine encounter with God and then did great things with God lived outside their comfort zone. Why? Because it's outside of our comfort zone where we learn to depend on God. That's where we learn to depend on God and trust God for everything. And you might be thinking, you know, well, it's really not fair to compare me with these legends of the Bible. Abraham, Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Peter. I mean, that's not fair. Those guys are icons. Those guys are, you know, I'm not like that. But none of those men were legends when they encountered God. On the contrary, they were ordinary Common men. And most of them argued with God first. They didn't want to do it. I mean, think about the disciples. The the, the disciples, most of them were teenagers when Jesus called them to follow. They had really, you know, little, very little education or influence. No power to speak of. All they had was faith. All they did was say yes to God and step outside their comfort zone. God did everything else. Someone pointed out to me recently, if you read the book of Acts and you look at how the gospel moved from the city of Jerusalem out to the rest of the world, it's interesting. If you look at three of the major city centers in the in the first century, um, Antioch, Alexandria, and Rome, the church leaders didn't take the gospel to those places. Do you know who did? We don't. Because they're not even named. The people who took the gospel to those major city centers in the first century were not even significant enough for their names to be recorded. In the book of Acts, we're just told that some brothers or some brothers and sisters started preaching the gospel to people and a a church was started. It wasn't Paul. Paul took the gospel to other places, but not to those three places. When Paul, Paul had made his life goal to get to Rome. And when we finally get to the last chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 28, Paul finally makes his way into Rome and he's greeted by the brothers, people who had already been living for Christ in Rome. And they finally meet Paul and they're they're saying to Paul, Paul, what took you so long? Or whatever they said. But they're already there. How did that happen? It happened because God chooses ordinary people And he rescues them from their sin. He sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in their hearts. He changes their life. And then he sends them out to make disciples of other people. That's how the gospel moves. That's how God moves. And comfort has nothing to do with it. It's just ordinary people going to other ordinary people and inviting them to turn from their idols so that they can worship and experience the one true God. That's how God's kingdom grows. Listen to Jesus' call to discipleship from Mark chapter 8. Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, many Christians in America today are living unfulfilled lives. I feel like we're always chasing after something else. They want to hear from God. They want to experience and follow God. They They want to experience God's power in their life. But something's in the way. And maybe one of the reasons that some of us haven't felt God's presence or power is that we haven't lost our life. You know, some of us have stayed safe and comfortable. Some of us have become bored with God and maybe bored with the church. And it might be because comfort is more important to you than the call of Jesus. And instead of going, you have stayed. You've stayed close to home. You've kept your money and possessions close. You've kept your friends and family close. You've kept your plans and dreams and goals close. Maybe God, you know, you haven't you just haven't risked anything. And maybe God has spoken to you in some way, but your response was, All right, God, I'll obey you. I'll go. If I can keep my career moving forward, if I can stay healthy, if my family can stay close to home, if I can keep this house or stay in this neighborhood, if my kids can have access to the best education, if I can maintain this kind of lifestyle. But whatever's on the other side of that if is your idol. That's what it is. Many people are trying to bargain with God, and they're putting conditions on God's authority in their life. I've done it, and you probably have too. But aren't you glad that Jesus Christ did not make a bargain with God when God sent him? When God sent him to us, Jesus did not argue with God He did not say, God, I'll go to them if I don't have to give up my glory, if I don't have to give up my beauty, if I don't have to give up my comfort, if I don't have to be tempted, if I don't have to become weak and hungry, if they listen and accept me and love me, if they will make me king. Jesus said none of that. He knew exactly what he was walking into. He knew what he was leaving behind. He knew what he was giving up. Uh, In his book, How People Change, Paul Tripp talks about comfort and how comfort can, how comfort always leaves us empty, really, is what he's talking about. It never gives us back what we give to it. And this is what he says, he he, he talks, he sort of has a a monologue with uh, comfort, and this is what he says to comfort. Comfort, you look beautiful to me right now, but when did you ever leave your place of prominence and glory to humble yourself for me? Comfort, when did you ever enter my world to suffer on my behalf? Comfort, when did you ever shed your blood so that I could be cleansed from sin? Comfort, when were you ever raised from the dead on my behalf? When did you ever promise to give me new life and power? Comfort, when did you ever promise to send the Holy Spirit to fill me with true comfort that would help me to please God even when my earthly comfort was threatened? Comfort, when did you ever promise to intercede for me to my Father in heaven so that I could be strong in trials? Comfort, when did you ever promise to come again and redeem me from the things that capture me and make me their slave? See, because no matter how much we worship and serve comfort, it never gives back. It always leaves us empty. It's never enough. So I want to challenge you today to do something hard. I want to challenge you to offer your life to God in submission to whatever he wants to do in you and with you. I mean, that's what discipleship is, isn't it? It's it's leaving everything behind. It's saying, yes, Jesus, life with you is better than a life of comfort. It's better than a life of beauty. It's better than a life with lots of money or with a big family or whatever else I'm exchanging for God. There's no conditions. Jesus called us to live outside of our comfort zone. That's what life with God is. What does that look like? What does it look like to live your life outside the comfort zone? I want to give you some examples of things that people have done that, have made, that were totally outside their comfort zones, but allowed them to experience the power of God. It could be making meals for someone who's going through a difficult transition. It could be helping someone move. It could be praying out loud in a group of people. It could be teaching a group of people about the Bible or leading some kind of small group. It could be selling all the clothes you don't need and giving the money away. It could be giving a certain percentage of your income away to your local church. A percentage that makes you really uncomfortable. It could be writing a note of encouragement to your teacher or principal at school. It could be going on a missions trip to another country. It could be asking a friend or neighbor to come to church with you. It could be becoming a foster parent. It could be getting up early to read the Bible and pray. Maybe it's fasting from food or from social media for a few days. Maybe it's serving on a setup team or in the nursery. It could be baking something and bringing it to your new neighbors. It could be praying with someone at your, at your job or at school out in the open. It could be inviting someone who annoys you to hang out with you and your friends. It could be sitting with someone at church who usually sits alone. Maybe for you, living outside the comfort zone is just to just stop complaining. Maybe for you, it's just asking a question. Some people are uncomfortable asking questions because they're afraid it makes them look ignorant. Maybe it's to make a bag of sandwiches and deliver it to a group of homeless people. It could be to organize a group to pick up garbage in your neighborhood. It could be to show kindness to the person at school or work who mistreats you. Maybe it's becoming an Awana leader. Maybe it's ending a relationship that isn't healthy. It could be to make an extra portion of food for the elderly neighbor or single mom on your street. Or maybe it's just talking to a stranger and asking them to share their story with you. Those are all things that either I or my wife or someone we know have done that were outside their comfort zones, but when we did it, we were comforted. We were, we were comforted. That sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But when you live outside your comfort zone by faith, you experience God who is the God of comfort. You experience His comfort in you. And His comfort never disappoints. It never leaves us empty. It leaves us full. And besides, anytime you choose to live outside your comfort zone, whatever it was you gave up, you don't miss it when it's gone. You don't miss it. A three-year-old who, who gives up their pacifier, learns to live without it, they eventually realize life is better without a pacifier. I don't need that anymore. They find one later, a couple years later, they're like, oh, I remember when I used to use this, and they maybe they suck on it again, and then they're like, wow, why did I ever do that, you know? They They learn to live without it. A five-year-old learns to live with kindergarten, learns that life is better with some independence. An eight-year-old learns that taking showers once a week is a good thing. And sometimes it's better than a bath, you know? But even more than that, here's what this is really about. It's about worship. This is about where we give our, who we give our best to. Because when you have a desire or a goal and you want it bad enough, you will sacrifice. You will do whatever it takes to get it. If you want a healthy, strong body, you'll do whatever it takes to get it. You'll change your diet. You'll get up at 5 in the morning to go work up, or go work out, or you'll stay, you know, you'll stay up late. You'll sacrifice for months or longer to get that body, to get that, to get the health that you want, that you so desperately need. And after a while, it becomes normal. It becomes a routine. It's, it's really difficult in the beginning, but after a while, I get used to it. It's not as uncomfortable as it once was. That's just how life works. Whatever was once extremely difficult and uncomfortable eventually becomes a way of life. It becomes the new normal for you. Most of the time. And all I'm asking you is, how badly do you want relationship with Jesus Christ? How badly do you want it? How badly do you want to experience life with God? Is he your ultimate goal? Is Jesus your ultimate goal in life? Because if he is, you will learn to live outside your comfort zone. You will sacrifice to be near him, to know him, to experience his presence in your life you will learn to live outside your comfort zone. And that's what I want to invite you to today. Will you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we are a people who have learned to long for comfort. We have learned to sometimes give our best so that we can have comfort in this world, so that we can be safe and insulated and protected And secure. But God, a life with you is not a safe life necessarily. Sometimes you ask us to do dangerous things. You ask us to do things that are really hard for us. You ask us to do things that make us feel really uncomfortable and vulnerable. Because you know, God, that it's only in that place where we will learn to depend on you. Where we will learn to rest in your power. And I'm so thankful, God, that you've called us, ordinary people, very weak people, to show the world that you are strong. And I pray, God, that you would send us from here this week, that you would send us out to people who are far from you, and that we would have maybe hard conversations with those people, that we would show them your love, that we will show them your kindness, and that we will do some hard thing this week. God, just because we love you. And so we we know that you're with us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And we ask, God, that you will make disciples through us and that we would long for you more than we long for comfort. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please bow your heads for the benediction. This today it comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You are dismissed.